Hello, this is Pastor Corey Ehrman. You're listening to my podcast. I hope it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch you through this teaching. Thank you for tuning in, and God bless. Concerning the weapons of our warfare, before I read from Ephesians 6, we covered the name and the blood of Jesus. We covered the table of the Lord. We covered the weapon of worship and giving. And I want to talk about the weapon of the word. Using your mouth as a weapon. The weapon of our testimony. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or strategies or the tactics of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith which, which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So say this after me, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You can see that this is a part of not only our armor, but it's a weapon. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Then go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we have weapons of our warfare. And you can see that they're not carnal. That means they're not natural weapons. But they are mighty, or the same word there is powerful. Dunamis, power. Dynamite, explosive power. Weapons that release the power of God. That is the ultimate power. Can you say amen? That's the ultimate weapon of mass destruction, God's power. And it says it's for the pulling down of strongholds. What are these strongholds? These are not things that float up in the air where you have to go fly with a plane over a city to pull down. People got into that kind of practice back in the 90s. I'm sure it's coming around again because things come back around every 20 years or so. But it was just a fad. People thought that they have to go to, you know, the highest place in the city to pray because they thought somehow they would have more authority. Our authority doesn't come from a physical high place. Our authority comes from our spiritual location, knowing that we've already been raised up together with Christ and made to sit together with him in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. That's about the, as high as you can get. There's no place higher than the throne of God. That's why Jesus was given the name which is above every name. The highest name. There's no other name given unto man by which man can be saved. The highest name. Amen. At the mention of that name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means he is in charge. He is sovereign. He is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Jesus. Amen. And so what are these strongholds? It's imaginations, arguments, thoughts, ideas, ideologies, isms, narratives, 
propaganda, things people believe, not just things that come obviously from the world system that's pumped out by the world system, but also the, the individual thoughts that people get about themselves. Not only is it about the general narrative that the enemy wants people to believe in, but the things that the enemy wants you to believe in about yourself, that you're defeated, you're poor, you're never going to rise up, you're never going to get the victory, you're just going to live in depression, you're going to struggle, you're going to do this, you're not, not going to achieve. These are all lies that the enemy will bring and get people, wanna, you know, get people to believe about themselves, insecurities, fears about their identity, about who they are and, and what they can and cannot do. These are all the things that the enemy will feed the believer. And if the person believes it, it becomes a stronghold. You know, everything's a seed. Everything starts out in seed form. The word of God is a seed. The Bible says it's an incorruptible seed. That we were born again of incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So that is seed. Your salvation is a result of seed. When you heard the gospel, you heard the word of God, it was a seed that was planted in your heart, and you took it. You chose to believe it because your heart was ready for it. But there are others out there who don't receive it. And Jesus talked about the seed. The sower sows the seed, and there are four different kinds of ground that the seed can fall into. Some will fall by the wayside, the roadside. Birds of the air, demons, basically will come and take up the seed. So that seed will basically benefit nothing and it will result in nothing. It's gone as quickly as it comes. Goes in one ear, goes out the other ear, or maybe doesn't even go in the ear. People don't receive it. That's the kind of heart that they have. Others are like seed that is sown in stony ground. It's a mixture. There's soil and then there's a lot of stones, rocks. Of course, stone represents hardness of heart, so the heart isn't ready. There's some areas of the heart that's like soil, but it, there's such a mixture of stones, hardness of the heart, and what, where could hardness come from? Hardness can come from judgments and offenses and unforgiveness and bitterness and jealousies and all these things where people don't protect their hearts. The Bible tells us to protect our hearts above all that we protect because out of it flow out the issues of life. So you have to protect your heart. If you don't protect your heart, attitudes and judgments and offenses and things will come and, and, and will be like stones in your heart. And it will cause your heart to be hardened. Another reason people's hearts become hardened is religion. Religion really hardens the heart. Religion is hard and harsh and it causes people to be hardened. Amen. Another reason that people's hearts could be hardened is because basically, you know, the environment that they're, they're living in, the people that they, who allow to speak into their lives, the things that they allow to, themselves to hear, things will harden. Certain news and certain information, certain kind of talk that, that you receive from the ear gate can cause your heart to be hardened. You know, you get around people that are hard, and they keep speaking criticism and negativity, it's going to affect you if you keep listening to that. And it's going to cause your heart to be hardened. Amen. Another reason people's hearts will become hardened is because of disobedience to the Word of God. The Bible actually says, do not harden your hearts when you hear the Word. For the Word that they received did not benefit them because they did not mix faith with it. In other words, what happens is God will speak to you time and time and time again until you finally obey what he's speaking. But every time he speaks to you and you choose to disregard what he's saying, you choose to just override what he's saying, and you go your own way, you do your thing, you basically end up disobe disobeying what he has spoken to you. What happens is you will, be, you will actually end up hardening your heart against that which he's been speaking to you. If he's telling you to go do something, if he's telling you to obey, go make peace with so-and-so, tithe, 
People will hear the message on tithing and giving, and then they'll just block it out. And you know what? They just make a decision. You know what? I'm just not going to do that. I just you know, I think they just want my money or whatever. You know, and, and you know what happens? Every time you hear it and you reject it, you're hardening your heart even more so. Yeah. Or God will say to you, reconcile with so-and-so. And you don't do it. You end up hardening your heart. So you don't want to harden your heart in, this, in these areas because it becomes a mixture ground. And, of course, you won't be able to mix faith with it. And the word that you hear will not benefit you. And then, of course, the Bible talks about the stony ground. The third kind of ground is thorny ground. That means it's got thorns and bushes and all kinds of things. It says the word goes into the soil, begins to, you know, give, give up, you know, put down roots and, and tries to grow. But it's choked by all the things around it. I mean, it's like trying to grow. It's like a tree trying to grow in the midst of a thick bush. That bush is just going to choke it, you know. And so you've got to make sure that you clear your heart. And what are those thorns? What are those things that choke the word? It's, it's the environment. It's the cares of life. It's the people around you. It's the people that you, you allow yourself to be surrounded with. And those things, of course, will cause the word to not benefit you and to bear great fruit. But what is the kind of soil that's going to cause great fruit to come 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold is what the bible calls good ground that's the kind of soil that's soft tilled ready bible says break up your fallow ground that means we actually have to break open our hearts you know and especially if there's an, any area where you've allowed your heart to become hardened, you got to go before the Lord. Say, Lord, I repent of that and I ask you to come and just, you know, one of the prayers we pray, Lord, break our hearts for the lost. You know, we, our hearts have, break, break our hearts for the nations. Break our hearts. You know, our hearts have to be broken in order for us to actually go to the lost, go to the nations, go to the harvest. You know, because you can become very callous in that area. You can end up becoming very hardened or very desensitized, insensitive. You can just walk by some lost person and just, it doesn't move you. But when your heart is broken, you can't walk by somebody lost and, and just be indifferent as a Christian. We can't become indifferent. Think about the woman that brought the alabaster box of perfume. She broke the box. And poured out that very expensive perfume at the feet of Jesus. Wiped his feet with her hair and just worshipped him. You know, and the Bible says the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Fragrance of worship. And in the midst of that, you got somebody whose heart had been hardened, Judas Iscariot, who was offended with what happened. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii? The money could have been given to the poor, he said publicly. But privately, he was thinking... I don't get to steal from that money because he was used to taking from the money because he had the money box. So every time he took, his heart became even harder. Every time he took some more, his heart became even harder. So his heart had become hardened and he was offended with the situation. And that's why people, we have to be free of all offenses because you cannot receive the word of God because people here's what people do they get offended with one church they leave and go to another church and they think they're going to sit there with an offense and actually hear the word and they actually they actually deceive themselves to think that that word is going to benefit them it will not benefit you because the same way you left the previous place is the same way you arrived at the next place because changing locations does not change you changing your attitudes changing your confession allowing God to change your heart is what's going to change you change happens from within not from without. So changing locations, changing churches isn't going to change anything if your heart doesn't change. So it's best that you stay put where you are and say, Lord, come and do a work on the inside of me. Change me from the inside out. Holy Ghost, come by your fire. Burn out everything that does not belong there, that is not of you. And burn into me that everything that God wants to impart into my life. Change me, Lord. Revival is not just a touch, it's a change. We say that over and over and over here. So you've seen people, you know, people come, Pastor, what happened to that guy? He got touched so powerfully. He was on the floor shaking under the anointing, weeping for three hours. What happened? He disappeared. Well, you saw him get touched. But God was trying to do a work on the inside to bring about a change, and he didn't receive the change. And so he just fell right out. 
or she, he, whoever. And I've seen hundreds and literally thousands of people like that over the years in revival. So you can get touched, but you've got to allow the Lord to go deep within and, and do a work on the inside. And a lot of times people will receive the touch, but they won't receive the word. It's like they just come, touch me, Lord. I just want to touch. But, but then they're always getting touched, but they're always also getting offended with the word. And people say, you know, I love going to the river just to get a touch, but I don't like what Pastor Corey preaches. It's just too hard. <laughs> just go there for the touch, but don't listen to the word. But what is that? I love the joy rolling on the floor. I don't like the word, though. I don't like, I don't like it when they talk about tithing. I don't like it when they talk about submission. I don't like it when they talk about going and win souls. I just like to go soak. Why, why are you soaking? Soaking what? I, I, I want the fire. For why, why do you want the fire? If you're not going to go win souls, if you're not going to go serve God, if you're not going to go heal the sick, cast out devils, and reach people, why, why do you want the fire, God? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the fire? Then you're no different than some drug addict that goes to get a fix. I just run to the river to get my fix. I'm going to binge on the, on the anointing. But I'm not going to do anything with it. Right. So we got to allow the word of God to come. So the word is a weapon. And it fir first it needs to work in us. The word of God first needs to work in us. We have to allow the word to work in us. And then cut out the things. And, and, and bring about a change. And, and the word. We got to turn the word into a weapon in our lives against the things that the enemy is trying to do against depression against poverty against lack against fear against bondage against things that will hold you back loose the power of the word in your life turn it into a weapon the word of god is a weapon and actually it is a powerful weapon when it, it is on your own mouth the weapon of your testimony using the word as a weapon your mouth as a weapon the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Amen. Amen. So how do we use the weapon of the word? How do we turn the word of God into a weapon? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Go with me to the book of Revelation. I'm just going to follow the Holy Ghost. I've got a lot of things here, but I'm just going to go to this one right now. Verse 10, chapter 1 and verse 10. The apostle John on the island of Patmos, for the testimony, he says, he was on the island of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what verse 9 says. So he was in prison for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, I was in the spirit, wrapped in his power or raptured, caught up. That's what the word is. On the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a great voice like the calling of a war trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What, write promptly what you see, your vision in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. These are all in Turkey. Love to take you all there on these seven churches tour. Man, Lord, make that happen. Then I turned to see who, whose was the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw several golden lampstands. The lampstand is a type of the word illuminated by the spirit. We studied that out in the tabernacles class. Did you learn that, students? Yes. All right. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a robe which reached to his feet, and with a girdle of gold about his breast, his head and his hair were like white like wool and as white as snow and his eyes flashed like a flame of fire his feet glowed like the burnished bright bronze as it is refined in a furnace bronze is a type of judgment and his voice was like the sound of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth there came forth a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full power at midday. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead. 
And he laid his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the ever-living one. I am in the eternity of eternities. I died by the sea. I am alive forever, and I possess the keys of death and Hades. And write, therefore, the things you see, what they are, and signify what is to take place hereafter. Now, notice in verse 16, it says, His mouth, there came forth a sharp two-edged sword out of his mouth. So, as if his tongue, his tongue is a two-edged sword. Do you see that? Jesus is the word of God. He is the word that was made flesh. Came and dwelt among us. In the beginning, the word was God. The word was with God. Amen. And he was with God in the beginning. And that same word came and dwelt among us. Became flesh. So Jesus, the word of God. So everything Jesus spoke was the word. He didn't speak anything contrary to the word. Because he was the word incarnate. Everything he said. 100% was the word of God. And the Bible says because he spoke the word. He was anointed without measure. When you speak the word, you release the anointing. What is the anointing? It's a manifestation of the power of God. The Holy Spirit manifesting God's power. That's the anointing. It's the supernatural equipment to get the job done. How many of you want to be supernaturally equipped to get the job done? Then you have to speak God's word. When you speak the word of God, you are releasing the anointing because the word is anointed. So people want a touch from the anointing, but they miss out on the fact that the word of God is anointed. And so the same way we see Jesus, because he said, just as I am, you will be also. Right? I go to my father. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you another comforter, one who's just like me, but different, another person, the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. He will come. He will be with you and he will be in you. He will abide in you. He is the spirit of truth. And he will remind you all the things that I have taught you. And he will show you all things to come. So the Holy Spirit responds only to the word. He doesn't respond to your opinion. He doesn't respond to religious arguments. He doesn't respond to human philosophies. Amen. He doesn't respond to things that do not line up with the word of God. The moment you speak God's word, the Holy Ghost shows up to confirm it. You preach healing, Holy Ghost shows up to manifest healing. You preach joy, Holy Ghost shows up to manifest joy. You preach deliverance, Holy Ghost shows up to get people delivered. You preach prosperity, Holy Ghost shows up and a spirit of prosperity begins to come on people. Come on, somebody. You preach peace. Whatever you preach according to the word, in line with the word of God, the Holy Ghost shows up to confirm it. So you want the anointing to flow in the church, you have to preach the word. You want the anointing to flow in your life, you have to speak the word. Now, when we say these things, people don't know necessarily how to take this and apply it. And I'm going to give you a practical way on how to take God's word and apply it in your life as a weapon. And to destroy whatever the enemy tries to do against you. Amen. Is this helping anybody here today? So now go with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So the word of God is also referred to as the word of faith. It's referred to as the seed of faith. It's also referred to as the word of faith because the word of God is the word of faith. What is the purpose of the word of God? Somebody said to me, pastor, the word of God doesn't make any sense. It wasn't given to make sense. It was given to make faith. 
it was given to take you out of the sense realm, which is the natural human reasoning, into the realm of faith, into the realm of God, into the realm of the spirit, into the realm of the supernatural. It's not a carnal thing. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God, powerful weapons. The word of God is a powerful weapon. The spoken word is a powerful weapon for the destruction of strongholds. Amen. Amen. So the word of God is near you. Now, what does that mean? The word of God is near me. What does that mean? The word of God is near me. Let me tell you exactly what it means. The word of God also consists of all the promises of God for your life. That means every promise in the word of God is near. That means it's close enough to attain. It's attainable. See, what the enemy will try to convince you is that you will never reach your destiny. You'll never really accomplish that. You'll never get free. You'll never prosper. You'll never break through. You'll never have your healing. You'll never have your breakthrough. I mean, he'll try to convince you that it's just too far. You're not the one. It'll never happen for you. And it's a lie. The devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is lying to you. The Bible says contrary that the word of God is near you. Every promise in the word of God is close enough for you to reach out and receive and attain and to have it manifest in your life. Come on, somebody. The word of God is powerful. God has given us precious promises and every single one of them are near they are very close. You are so close to your breakthrough. You are this close to your breakthrough. How close am I? Close enough, just as close as the word in your heart and in your mouth. So how do you get the breakthrough? How do you actually see the word of God? Every promise that is in the Bible manifest and be fulfilled in your life. You got to put the word in your heart. That means you receive it. And we talked about the condition of the heart. You can see how important the condition of the heart is. How come the word of God works for one and it doesn't work for the other one? How come two people can sit in the same service, sitting next to each other? One receives it and the other one doesn't receive it. One sees a breakthrough and the other one doesn't see the breakthrough. They are receiving the same seed. What is it? It's the condition of the heart. You have to receive it. Bible says humbly receive the word of God, which is then engrafted into your spirit is able to save your souls. So that means you got to receive the word of God in your heart, in your spirit, because the word of God is a spiritual thing. It's not information. It's not head knowledge. It is spiritual. Jesus said, the words I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. So we receive God's word into our hearts. We believe it. That means we got to take care of our hearts. We got to make sure that there's nothing in our hearts that's going to hinder the word of God being planted. And then once you have received the word into your heart, it's not enough. It's not enough just to believe the word. Now you have to speak the word. And of course, in the English Bible, when we see the English word, word, W-O-R-D, we just have one word. But in the Greek, there are two different words. There is logos, which is the written word. In the beginning was the word, logos. The word Logos was with, with God and the Logos was God. But then the Logos came and became flesh, dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, Emmanuel God with us, and then he spoke. And that written word coming out of his mouth became spoken word, which is the Rhema word. Rhema word. You know, you can be reading your Bible and all of a sudden a scripture just literally jumps off the page and grabs you. Anybody ever have that happen before? It's like all of a sudden, it's like it, it just spoke to you. It's like, wow, it just hit me. Oh, God just spoke to me. What happened? That logos became a rhema. It became energized. Energia, energized. That's where we get the word energy, energized. And it became illuminated. All of a sudden, lights came on. And now you can see. Oh, now I see. Okay, wow. What is that? That's revelation. That's called revelation. That's how revelation comes. So what do you do? You have to start sowing the word into your heart. 
You start meditating on God's word. You start taking scriptures and you meditate on them. You read them over and over and over again. So let me give you something practical. Take the different promises of God in the Bible, okay, and especially in the area, let's say you need to get a breakthrough. I mean, I've been showing this, and, and there are, of course, many other tools out there, and you can make your own. I make my own. You can take little note cards, and you go through the Bible, and you actually write down the different promises. You can categorize them, but there's already people that have done this for you. Like, I have this one called the Complete Personalized Promise Bible for Men. It's by James Riddle, and you can go search it. There's one for women. There's one for, I think, teenagers, but you can go search it online you can purchase one and he's got all these different topics okay healing eternal life eternal security quality faith favor pastor vincent was speaking favor over us what was he doing he was taking the word and decreeing favor and having you decree favor what were you doing you were taking the word and you were speaking it and as you were speaking it you were turning it into a weapon you were weaponizing the word so take promises and meditate on them. Read them. Study them. Meditate on them. What does it mean to meditate? You read that word. You don't just read it through, but you take the same scripture. You read it. Maybe you read it in multiple translations. I mean, this is one of the things that I was showing people in the life group is to read it, you know, personalize it, put your name in it. Okay? I mean, here, right here, Genesis chapter 30, verse 43. From the New King James, it's about Abraham. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Thus, Corey became exceedingly prosperous. Come on, put your name in there. Thus became exceedingly prosperous. Had large flocks. Who likes flocks? I mean, put your name in there. Put your name in the things. Put your name in the, in the word. If you will seek God diligently and make your supplications to the Almighty, then if you are pure and upright, surely he will bestir himself for you and make your righteous dwelling prosperous again. And though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would greatly increase. So let's, let's, let's take the word and, and speak it. Come on, say this. If I will seek God diligently and make my supplication to the Almighty, then... If I am pure and upright, surely he will bestir himself for me. Say, for me. And make my righteous dwelling prosperous again. Even though my beginning was small, yet my latter end would greatly increase. All right. Now, that was Job chapter 8, verses 5 and 7. So that's just another promise. You can take that. You meditate on it. You speak it. Confess it. All right? Put it in your, on your mouth, the word of God. Turn that word, speak it by faith. Make it a word of faith, not a word of doubt and unbelief. Amen. Well, I doubt that will happen for me. I was just born on the wrong side of the tracks. Well, it just said, even though your beginning might be small, your latter end would greatly increase. So what are you doing now? You are speaking by faith into your future. You are sowing a seed into your future because you, now the future is up to you. Come on, somebody. You can either accept circumstances or you can decide, you know what? My life is going to be built on God's word, and I'm going to speak the word. I'm going to release the word into my future, and I'm going to shape my future by the words that I speak. Amen. Continue here in Romans chapter 10. Look at the next verse. We read 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So you got to put the word in your mouth and in your heart. And by the way, that's a reference to an Old Testament scripture. Okay? That's actually Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 14. So it was in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Okay? And then look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart... That God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right. So how do you get saved? Do you remember the day you got saved? How many of you remember the day you got saved, you got born again? What did you have to do? You probably prayed some kind of a prayer. 
like we do when we go out on the streets and we preach the gospel and we lead people to the salvation prayer. You pray the prayer. Some people call it the sinner's prayer. Some people call it the salvation prayer. Whatever it is, you pray the prayer. What did you do? You came and said, Lord, I confess that I have sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me. And now I come to you. I ask that the blood of Jesus will cleanse me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead. And I confess that Jesus is my Lord. And the moment you prayed that prayer, it was really a confession, honestly. We call it a prayer, but it really is a confession. You believed in your heart and you confessed with your mouth. What happened? You got saved. Now, the same principle applies to every single promise in the word of God. That's not just for salvation. By the way, let's not limit salvation. Salvation, there is the word sozo in the Greek, which means wholeness, healing, deliverance, wealth, wellness, welfare. It means every area of your life needs salvation. How many of you need some financial salvation? Okay, what do you got to do? You got to take God's word in the area of provision and prosperity. Believe it, speak it, apply it, confess it. Speak life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat the fruit of it. So speak prosperity. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Oh, I know. Oh, now they're saying all this shortage is coming. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to end up, you know, maybe I might even lose my job. What, what if I lose my house? What if I lose my car? What, uh. <laughs> Christians speak this way. And then they wonder why they're always so defeated and depressed and in lack. You've got to speak life. You've got to speak blessing. You've got to speak prosperity and provision and abundance in your life. Believe it and speak it. Refuse it. Reject to believe anything other than God's word. I don't care what the circumstances are. I don't care. I don't care. If even the president of the United States says, get ready for a winter of darkness and death. That's what he said. I said, I rebuke that demonic thing. No, I'm going to believe for a, a, a winter of light and glory and blessing and health and healing and prosperity. I'm going to prosper. I'm going to increase. I don't care who says what. I don't care what the World Economic Forum says. I don't care. I don't care what the headlines in the papers say. I refuse to believe it. I reject it. I curse it. I, I come against it. I punish it. I take authority over it. I take it captive and I cast it down as a vain imagination. It's a demonic imagination. It's a demonic narrative. I reject it. I refuse to believe it. I reject the doctor's report. Funny thing, we came the week before we were starting the church here, so five years ago, April, went to Bank of America, opened an account, you know, and um, personal one, deposited some money and things like that and did the paperwork, whatever, and left. Two days later, I get a phone call. Hello, this is Bank of America Mortgage, mortgage Services. I don't know, I guess... Maybe when you open an account, automatically they get a notification to call you. The lady calls me. She goes, I'm just calling to tell you to let you know that you cannot buy a house. I said, what? She just said, you can't buy a house. I said, why are you calling me? She said, well, your name came up in, in our you know, mortgage thing, and we looked, and you, you can't buy a house. I said, first of all, I didn't apply to buy a house. And secondly, lady, I said, I'm going to buy a house. I will buy a house. I said, and these words came out of my mouth. In two years, I will have my own house. These words came out of my spirit. In two years. And exactly two years, we moved into the house that we bought. And it was a crazy weekend because we were having the grand opening of this building and moving into the new house that was built. I mean, it was a wild weekend. And she was going on the same way. Well, it could be five to ten years. I said... Why are you calling me? Stop this. And I, I got upset with her. I, I was nice at first because she's just doing her job, but then she just kept pressing the matter. I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a stand here. I said, no, please don't call me again. And I reject your report. She goes, well, what do you mean you reject? I said, I reject your report. She's like, what does that mean? 
I said, it means I reject your report. What part of I reject your report don't you understand, lady? Don't call me again to tell me I can't buy a house because I will buy a house. And she's going on saying, well, you just came from Turkey. And you're just so new and you don't really even have any credit. I said, I'm not worried about that. So what you say will either defeat you or bring you into victory. You have to believe God's word and you have to speak it. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, confession. So we call it confessing the word. Confessing God's word. Now, of course, in order to be able to confess God's word, you have to know the word. You have to spend time in the word, meditating, memorizing the promises, learning the promises, understanding. The more you spend... You gotta, you gotta fill the tank. I mean, if you take a firearm and you don't load it, you pull the trigger, nothing's coming out of it. But you put a round in there, you pull the trigger, there's an explosion, dunamis, and something comes out of it with destructive force. Do you understand me? So you gotta put the word in, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta get ammo. You gotta have a deposit in here. You gotta, you gotta get lo loaded. Load up with the word, load up with the, the promises of God so that, you know, you're not searching for something. That the moment something hits, it's just coming out of you. It's just coming out of you. When you squeeze, the word comes out of you. People find out what's really in them when they're squeezed. And God will allow you to be squeezed. Anybody ever here been squeezed? good to be squeezed you find out what's in there you go sitting in the doctor's office you get squeezed they put you in a vice and they you've been squeezed and you're getting a bad report what, what are you gonna say what are you gonna say you're gonna agree with the doctor and you're gonna speak that and you're gonna oh no or you're gonna say I absolutely reject and refuse to believe this I'll never forget when, my, when Pastor Rose was about to give birth for glory. I mean, we're going, and we're in Turkey. We're in Istanbul, Turkey. We're going from doctor to doctor to doctor. And, you know, and, and the, the, the big practice in Turkey is C-sections. I mean, every doctor will just force you into C-section because it's quicker. They spend less time in the thing, in, in the operating room, and they make actually twice the money. So they, they, they trick all these women into C-sections constantly. They come and speak for you. Oh, the baby's this, they mean, you, we got we got emergency C-section. And then most people are like, oh, no, oh, no. And then, okay, do it. And then they're in and out of there in, in, in an hour because they don't want to be in a 10, 12-hour labor. Come on. And because she was in labor, what? I mean, quite well, almost, I would say, probably 16 hours she was in labor. I mean, is that right? Probably. Because, I mean, you, we went in, yeah, we went in around noon, and she was born sometime 4 o'clock in the morning or so. So it was a long process, and she was pushed. But we went from doctor to doctor to doctor, and the first question I asked, no C-section. You're not going to pressure us. You're not going to put fear into us. Will you do a natural birth? And, and most of them say, no, 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 no. And we finally found, and actually, we were in this one doctor's office, and she just started, she just started just manifesting calling me an irresponsible husband, how evil I am and how terrible I am to even ask for this. And it's impossible, you know, your wife has this or your wife has that and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, she just keeps, I said, excuse me, lady. Hold your tongue. You have spoken enough. Hold your peace. Let me speak now. I reject everything you just said. She just looked at me, what do you mean you reject? I said, I said, it happens to me a lot. It happens to me a lot. You know, it's like, I said, I reject everything you have just said. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, I, I mean exactly what I said. I reject everything you just said. And thank you for confirming that you are not the person. And we just walked out. And then we finally found that lady. She said, yes, I will do it. And, uh, and, and we went in. And of course... 
the longer the labor goes, they keep running out. Emergency C-section. I said, no, emergency tongues. They kept pushing it. Speaking fear, I said, no. And then, of course, Gloria was born naturally. Everything was great, fine, you know. So you walk through things like this. These are just some examples I'm giving. Everybody's got their story. Everybody's got a situation. And you're going to have another one probably this week and next month. You're going to have situations you're going to have to walk through where you're going to have to just absolutely be established, standing firm on God's word, on the rock, just like we looked at. I mean, I'm standing firm. And when they, some, somebody comes and gives you a bad report, when somebody comes and gives you something contrary to the promise of God, you have to reject it and be vocal about it. Well, I don't want to be mean to the lady. You're not being mean to the lady. You're actually talking to the devil. And if they're going to push it, because that's what happens. I find with a lot of people, you know, I just got pushed into it. Why? I got pushed into it. I got pushed into it. They stand their ground a week, two, three, and then they just finally give up. So it's not a, just a lack of faith, it's a lack of fight. You gotta fight the good fight of faith. You gotta fight the good. I'm fighting to the end, amen? So don't be like the guy who came to his pastor and said, you know, pastor, I got a problem with alcohol. I drink myself to a stupor, I mean, I'm a drunkard. What do I do? And the pastor said to him, you know, every time the thought comes to have a drink, just say, get thee behind me, Satan. Few weeks go by, pastor goes up to the man, talks to him, says, How are you doing, man? You know, since we talked last time, he goes, Oh, I'm doing great, everything's great. Oh, pastor's excited. Oh, I can't wait to hear what's going on. Tell me, tell me what's going on. He goes, Well, you know, the other day I was passing in front of a bar, and the thought came to me to go inside and have a drink. And then I said, Get thee behind me, Satan. And he got right behind me and it pushed me right into the bar. <laughs> so it's all about it's him. He did it. I didn't do anything, he did it. The devil made me do it. The wife you gave me, it's her fault. It's my husband's fault. We gotta take responsibility. We got, you gotta take responsibility for your heart, keeping your heart, protecting your heart. You gotta take responsibility for what you hear, what you meditate on. You gotta take responsibility for what you believe and then you gotta take responsibility for what you speak. And I will close in this, if you will go with me to Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. Hebrews four and 14. Actually, I'll give you two more scriptures to close with, but this is the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. Hold fast. That means ha have a firm grip. Come on, say this after me. I got to have a firm grip on the word of God. Okay. You got to have a firm grip. If you're using a tool, if you're using a tennis racket, if you're using a, a firearm, if you're using a, a fishing rod, you got to have a firm grip on it. Because as soon as this jerk, as soon as something happens, it's, it's, you got to have a firm. You got to have a firm grip on the word of God because things are going to try to pull it out of your hand. You got to have a firm grip on God's word. I have a firm grip on God's word. I'm not going to let it go. And what am I going to do? I'm going to hold fast also to my confession. What, is that, what does that also mean? I'm not going to change my confession. Because what happens is people are confessing something to get their breakthrough. And then the longer it delays, the more they become doubtful and they begin to waver. And they change what they're saying. They become double-tongued, double-minded. James says a double-minded man or a woman cannot hope to receive anything from the Lord. You can't be double-minded. You've got to be single-minded. That's what it means to hold fast to the confession of the, the Word. You've got to believe it and you've got to speak it until you see it manifest. And Abraham is given as an example of our faith. And he, he held on to Word for 25 years until Isaac finally came. And along the way, he had challenges. To compromise. He, he compromised and ended up with Ishmael. 
He compromised a few other times. He compromised. He compromised the word of God and he got himself into trouble. Don't blame God when you compromise God's, your, God's word and get yourself in prob- trouble. People compromise God's word, they get into trouble and they get offended with God. Well, God, why would you let that happen to me? He goes, well, it's what you wanted and I gave it to you. He's not going to control your life. You can have whatever you want. Somebody said, can a, can a Christian have a demon? A Christian can have whatever he wants to have. If he wants to have a demon, he can have a demon. If you open the door and let the demon walk in and you don't deal with it and you tolerate it and you allow it, it's going to be there. But you have to draw a line in the sand. You say, that's enough. I am not going to tolerate this anymore. I'm not going to allow the enemy to oppress me anymore. I'm not going to allow the enemy to depress me anymore. I'm not going to allow the enemy to, to, to hold me back anymore. I draw a line in the sand. I'm going to rise up and I'm going to say, absolutely not. I come against you, devil. You are finished. I cast you out. I break this thought pattern. I break this lie. I break this fear. I break this bondage. And I will not tolerate it anymore in my life in the name of Jesus. You have to rise up and you have to speak the word. You got to hold fast to the confession of faith. Look at Mark 11, 22, 23, 24. And Jesus replying said to them, have faith in God constantly or have the God kind of faith. What is the God kind of faith? The kind of faith that speaks God's word. God speaks his word and it's forever settled in heaven. And he stands behind his word to perform it. He doesn't do anything or speak anything against his word. People say this all the time. This is a, a, a false religious statement. Well, you know, brother, God just moves in mysterious ways. You just never know what he's going to do. Life is like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're going to get. No, God does not move in mysterious ways. God moves exactly according to his word. You want to know what God's going to do? Look at the word. Exactly what he said is what he's going to do. There's no mystery to it. It's clearly defined. Amen. Amen. I know what I'm going to get. When I read the word, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get healing. I'm going to get prosperity. I'm going to get joy. I'm going to get peace. I'm going to get power to cast out devils, heal the sick. I'm going to get power to walk on water. I'm going to get power to multiply my seed sown and increase the fruits of my righteousness and walk in abundance. I'm going to get heaps and heaps of blessing. And I know that blessings are going to come upon me, chase me down, and overtake me. I know what I'm going to get. I'm expecting to be blessed. I'm expecting, I'm expecting peace and joy and prosperity and abundance and provision. I am expecting. I know exactly what I'm going to get because God's word promises it and I'm holding fast to this word and I'm going to confess it until I see it manifested in my life. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. I hope that you have been blessed. I would like for you to consider two things. Number one, subscribe to our show to receive notifications of our new podcasts. Number two, support our ministry of reaching the nations with revival by clicking on the link in the description or visiting our website, riverwpb.com. Thank you for tuning in. Look forward to you joining our next podcast. God bless you.